Welcome to a special episode of the For Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and one of the lay elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. On the 24th of February of this year, Russia invaded Ukraine, which made worldwide news, and we're currently 65 days into the war. This news has greatly impacted one of our families here at Redemption Church Gateway, Michael and Valentina Kelly. Today, we wanted to hear how this impacted their family both here and in Ukraine, and a big decision they made in supporting the so they're Ukrainian refugees. Welcome, Michael and Valentina. Hello. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're welcome. So for those of you who don't know that are listening, um, Michael and Valentina got married the first Sunday of Second Mile Church, which then became Redemption Church Gateway, and then started attending like the you know few Sundays after that. So they have been around for a long time, a very faithful, uh, committed uh, family to our church. But we wanted to get to know you first a little bit more about before we get dive into your story. So how long have you guys been married? Do you have kids? What do you guys do for fun? What do you do for work? I'll go. Um, we are a family of five. We have three kids, Tobias, Clementine, and Kean, who are 10, 8, and 6. Um, we live right up the road here. Um, we, um, we've been married for, well, if you know how old the church is, you know how long we've been married, but 12, 13 years, somewhere around. You there. might want to figure that out. <laughs> how, know, how many years, years, Valentina? After 10 years, you count by fives, right? Oh. No. No, not in our house. No, okay. <laughs> Valentina, how many years have you guys been married? Uh, 13, 13. Maybe. We're both maybe. on the same page. <laughs> okay. We, like, never remember anniversaries, birthdays. We remember, we remember anniversaries. It's not the exact count. Yeah. Because a Google calendar reminds us. <laughs> I have to do math every time to figure out how old I am. Um, no, I am a... Well, if you want to go back a season, there's a podcast that talks about what I do for work, but I'm a digital marketer that does search engine optimization, work at a marketing agency, been there for, doing that for over 10 years now. And then Valentina is a stay-at-home mom, slash, she's currently translating Ukrainian stuff, slash women's ministry stuff, so it's, it's a, she keeps herself busy for sure. Yeah, I do also volunteer at uh, elementary school as an art, art volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're not working, when you're not raising kids, what do you guys do for fun? Uh, currently, we open Twitter or Telegram and scroll through uh, the latest Ukrainian news. That's kind of our hobby. Okay. Lately. Wow. <laughs> Anything new to report from Twitter? You don't want to. Al- Alon's listening. It's too much. It's too, too much. much. Yeah, it's too much. But I don't know. We just like reading. Um, we like uh, travel, just knowledge, nerds as a family. And um, I don't know, nothing, nothing big. Yeah. So, um, and how'd you guys meet? We used to work for the same mission organization called Josiah Venture. And Michael uh, served in Latvia and I served in Ukraine. It's not a big organization, so, um, you know, all single people, I guess, knew each other. But then also it happened that Michael um, had to move to Ukraine because of some uh, visa document paperwork issues in Latvia. And he spent seven weeks uh, basically sharing apartment slash office uh, with me and my roommate. And so we became good friends and started dating after he left to Latvia and then got engaged six months later and got married almost a year to the day we met. Wow. 
And did you guys know it was love at first sight or did it take a while? Who, who liked uh, who took first? Me, took me seven weeks to break her down. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So you guys served together as kind of missionaries for a while in Latvia or Ukraine or both? Just those few weeks we did stuff together. Like I helped at the church she was working at and we did some stuff, but not, not a lot before we really got married. Cause then I had to go back and then we were apart for six months, long distance while I served in Latvia and then a long story, but ended up having to resign from there. So I went back to Ukraine and then we got married mm. and then came back and yeah. And it was 2000, 2009. So it's, you know, a recession and we just, uh, uh, the logical practical thing was to move back to Michael's parents here in Mesa and so he was kicking and screaming but mm. we ended up here and then I think because of uh, Redemption Gateway actually second mile uh, we stayed it was Michael's family and the church that was huge reasons why we stayed because mm. I never I moved back hate the Arizona weather <laughs> I grew up here <laughs> trying to get away and always ended up back so Valentina tell us about your family in Ukraine and where were you born? I was born in Soviet Ukraine, in Lutsk, Volyn region, which is western Ukraine, western, no, uh, western north uh, part. And uh, I actually grew up in uh, Czechoslovakia. My, we were a um, military family. So my dad is a doctor. And so then uh, when I was in second grade, we moved back to Ukraine and then uh, soon afterwards, uh, Ukraine became independent, so um, I was about the same age as my son is right now, so 10 years old, and uh, my, my my family, uh, with some exceptions, uh, my nephew and my niece are uh, in Poland, they study and live there, uh, but the rest of my family is in Ukraine. And what cities? Um, Kiev, around Kiev, then Cherkasy, mm. and Lutsk. Yeah. So the kind of the animosity with Russia has been brewing and you know, it's been for a long time since probably Ukraine had its uh, independence. When the news came about the invasion, like tell us what that happened to your family, what that happened to your kind of in your heart and your mind when you heard the news. So we were all, uh, you know, listening to American intelligence, to UK intelligence saying that it's going to happen, but no one, I mean, we live in 21st century, so nobody could quite believe that would actually happen. So, um, I don't know. Maybe I was just trying to find all these uh, reasons in my head why it wouldn't happen. So, um, we were still planning on going to Ukraine. We had uh, tickets purchased back in September, I think, for the family trip for the whole month uh, of March. Uh, traveling around, seeing my grandma, who's 92, you know, my dad, my sister, and so... Uh, I have a lot of extended family that I'm very close with. And then um, we were not canceling the tickets till uh, air, airline canceled it, ba basically, to the last moment. I was hopeful. Uh, and then when I saw, because there is nine-hour difference with Ukraine, um, Michael came and said, you need to watch the news. It was afternoon here. And so it was like 4 a.m. in Ukraine uh, when the attack started. And um, I, um, we had kind of like planned with my family that um, like a worry plan, we called it, you know, if you, if it happens, what do you do? So uh, I called my, I started calling my family who were asleep 
in Ukraine to uh, just let them know what's going on because the, I, I wasn't sure they knew yet. Uh, so uh, I called my cousin first, who is uh, actually lived in Kiev, uh, near in the government um, uh, neighborhood, kind of that area, and uh, it was one of the fears that they're going to be attacked and targeted first. So I want to make sure she can get out before. And so I woke her up, and she just had time enough to get dressed and kind of leave till everything started. You know, the, all the traffic and panic started in Kiev. And then I uh, called my sister and woke her up. And it was it, it was very hard, like, to call and say the war has started and kind of hearing yourself thinking, you, like, you know. And then I, um, I, it reminded me of the time when my mom passed away and my sister called me. And I was, like, in the same room, uh, you know, talking with her. And I felt like it was uh, something similar when I called my sister and she was asleep and I told her war has started and it just sounded crazy that I'm saying this word. It's like you don't want to believe it. And um, she, um, they got up uh, and got dressed and even had breakfast uh, uh, when they heard explosions because the airport, there was one military airport, one kilometer, literally one kilometer away from their house. Half a kilometer. Or like a, m- or half a mile. I don't know. Just how many How many siblings do you have? Yeah, I just have one sister. Hmm. Is she older or younger? She's seven years older. Hmm. And, and so, uh, yeah, so they just uh, fell on the ground, like on the floor. Um, there were several explosions, and uh, between them they had uh, time uh, to go to the basement with all the neighbors and wait there for, I think it was six, uh, six explosions. You know, with some time in between. Um, and so they, um, I don't want to be that kind of prophet, but now there's kind of joking that I'm the announcer of the news for them, that they were able to get dressed and get ready. Mm. And um, we're ready for that, even though I did not believe that so far in the West, the airport will be bombed. Yeah. yeah. Were you able to make contact with all your family within the first 24 hours of the invasion? Yeah. the All the um, connection was there. Yeah. Yes. How do you, how do you normally communicate with your family? Do you call them? Do you WhatsApp? Do you email yeah, uh, them, text them? Uh, Facebook messenger, you know, just voice call through the, uh, the Google duo mm. and just, uh, yeah, the same as uh, I think there's a Viber and WhatsApp. All those. Yeah. We just try it all and just normal phone as well. Mm. Uh, because there were a lot of, uh, um, cellular companies that allowed to free, Free calls, so I could call you know my grandma because it's just a land phone, and she doesn't have all the apps. Um, and mm-hmm. then you know try to figure out where all my family was at the moment, um, but also didn't want to distract them from like trying to get to safety. Yeah, did you did you find a kind of a disparity in what you were seeing on the news and what you were hearing from your family in terms of just news and events, or was it fairly accurate? You mean uh, American news? Like American news or international news? Uh, I just switched to Ukrainian news right away. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I thought it would be more um, detailed and maybe something that would be boring for um, global audience would be interesting for me, and I would need to know that. But I joined Telegram right away, which I never knew existed. But that's where a lot of news just goes straight away from people. The Ukrainian news usually isn't 
on like YouTube, but all the main channels there came together and did a 24 hour like news stream. And so they kind of do rotations and shifts mm. and they put it all on YouTube. So you could essentially watch 24 hours of news coverage from there in Ukraine. And so, wow. Which I do. Yeah. That's all the channels came together and they had, uh, you know, because there's no commercials now, there's basically everything, uh, the system of the news and channels fell apart. So they started just connecting together. So it's the stream live stream that's been going since February 24th. Wow. It's still going. What an amazing act of kind of solidarity of, those mm-hmm. news organizations coming together. I've never heard something like that. And most of those channels are owned by different billionaires, the oligarchs there. And so to see them all come together and they're all speaking mostly Ukrainian too, which was different. So, Wow. So for those who don't know, you guys had a very unique and courageous um, idea on how to support the refugees coming out of Ukraine. Tell us a little bit about this idea. Yeah, so we were like two weeks in to the war, and it had just been twenty four hours. It seemed like watching, watching the news, scrolling, scrolling, doom scrolling on Twitter, and I was like, and you could tell, especially Valentina was just weighing on her, and mm. and more so not just sad, but like she couldn't do anything to help. So I was like, there's got to be something. And we had already planned on going on a trip, and we had just gotten a refund for that. I was like, well, let's uh let's see what the ticket costs are and maybe she could go. Cause we had heard about all these um, cities along the Polish border that were helping refugees and stuff. And I was like, well, she also has this friend up the road, Ira, who we've been friends with for a while. That's Ukrainian. And, and I know she was kind of struggling too. And I was like, well, maybe they could go together, you know, and, and see what they could do. So I kind of, I feel like I'll claim that I lit the match, but then they definitely ran with it and you can take it from there. Like yeah. what kind of Val, how do you react when you, when Michael brought that idea to you? And the first, uh, uh, of course, I wanted to go to Ukraine. Like my first uh, desire was to go to Ukraine. And, uh, but I have, you know, husband and kids and responsibilities. So I can't do that anymore. Like it's, um, it's more than just my life that I'm responsible for. And so that that was my one rule. Because I knew what would happen. She would sneak over across the border, grab her gun and go to the front lines. Because she wouldn't do that. I mean, the, the last revolution they had back in 2004, like she was camped out on the the Independence Square for a month protesting the president and stuff. And wow. So yeah, so, I mean... Her, it's in her blood to fight the, I'm not fight in the Russians. my 20s anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I say, I'm a middle-aged, you know, soccer mom, basically, what I am now. So it's um, it's a different different courage level, and but it's... Um, I knew that I needed to go for many reasons, um, first, just, uh, my family is there, um, my friends uh, and such injustice happening, such darkness happening. Like I just need to be there, uh, to stand up for it, uh, you know, against it. And then, uh, as a, you know, as a believer, I feel like I could bring something that maybe other volunteers can't, you know, and, um, I mean, there is common grace and God gives in everyone, but I was like, I would want to be part of that, what God would do. And uh, just having this burden. And I still don't, don't I mean, I still was um, uh, worried. I was anxious. I was afraid. Um, I mean, just thinking about like going through airport <laughs> terrified me more than like Russian army. Um, but yeah, after I promised that I'm not going to cross the border, I'm going to stay in Poland you had to make a promise to Michael. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and I think I, we're joking, but no, I was serious. <laughs> and I didn't. I came all the way to the crossing, and I, you know, was holding this fans of border, um, border crossing, and I looked, you know, on the Ukrainian side, and I saw some Ukrainian sky. That's yeah. it. And so, so he brings this idea to you. You kind of get on board, but. I mean, was there any other discussions besides this promise of not to cross cross the border? I mean, that seems like a really big decision for a couple to make. My other requirement was she needed to go with somebody. So mm. that, was, that was number two. I yeah, it's dangerous, definitely dangerous right now. That's why it's a danger for refugees. Yeah. It's uh, just think it's mostly women with children or just women. Mm. Uh, you know, when... Uh, Good people do good things. They're evil. That also uses an opportunity. So it's all the human trafficking, mm. etc. You know, all those players get in the game. And so just to travel as a single woman, I can see the dangers. And um, in all the chaos of what's going on, there are probably a lot of people who just went missing. Mm. And who knows you know, what their fate is. And so... When we found, um, so my friend, she is part of Nazarene Church, and uh, they have like a big developed uh, relief organization that was already doing stuff in Poland. So it was the easiest thing just to go with established uh, mission. And we honestly, um, because everyone's so busy, we had very little information of what we're going to do and where we're going to stay. And we took mattress, like a you know blow-up mattress and the sleeping bag and everything with us. We were fine just if there is some kind of roof. Mm. We would just sleep anywhere. So we were ready for the worst. And uh, our only kind of condition was that we said we don't want to be humored as Americans. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, some project created just for us and we feel important that we came you know no we want to be useful and we want to work um and you know actually be up there yeah so so i'm assuming you told all your family before you went this decision to go so was there any or 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 maybe not or i mean did you tell your whole family and waited last minute on some right oh really and did you get any pushback or any any kind of resistance you think they're going to listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it will depend, right? What are we going to say? I mean, um, I think at first, uh, I'm sure Michael's parents uh, who care about me would not want me to go and be close to war zone. Mm. But then when the decision was made, they were super supportive, 100%. Mm. No questions asked after that. That's great. And then we, uh, at first, we didn't want to tell Michael's grandma, who is a big friend of mine, mm. and... Uh, but then I told, just uh, told her that there is a there is a plan. It's a safe organization. We have a place to stay. Like it's just uh, we know what we're gonna do. We're not gonna go to the Ukraine. And so after that, she was supportive too. So I think God just opened a lot of doors, even emotionally, for us. And my family in Ukraine were extremely excited. First, they were like, "Oh, don't come here. You know, at least we don't have to worry for you." Mm. Um, but then they were super proud, and I was even able to see some of them. Oh, that's great. So um, how long were you in Poland? I was in Poland for two weeks. For two weeks. Okay. And um, so you flew for, uh, tell me, it's kind of like your hops, like on your on the plane. Like, did you go from uh, Phoenix to New York to mm-hmm. London to then 
Poland? Like to tell us like all the different stops, how long did it take you to get from your doorstep in Gilbert, Arizona to the, the Ukrainian bo uh, Polish border? It's really, it's always hard for me to say how long it takes because, you know, <laughs> you fly back in time or forward in time and you think it's only been 10 hours when it's actually like 24, um, 44 hour trip. Okay. Wow. 44, I guess. We went to San Diego, then we flew to England, to uh, London, and then from London to Warsaw. Mm. Then we spent one night in Warsaw and then we took eight hour train. Wow. To Przemysl, uh, a six-hour train. With, yeah. uh, we had to change the train in Krakow. So getting so all that makes seems like it would make sense and pretty easy to get through. But if I was thinking about it, getting the train from Warsaw to the to the border, that feels like you would have like did whether checkpoints. Did people like why are you doing this? Like it seems like everyone would be going in the opposite direction. You're going towards the border. Was that difficult to get up to the border, or was it not difficult? No, it, it wasn't difficult. In Poland, life uh, goes on. Everyone mm. is, uh, I mean, very supportive of Ukraine. Everybody is very alert to what's going on. Like there's special like buzz in the air. But other than that, um, I think it was... Tell them the story about your border crossing in the airport. That was interesting. Setting up some border guards. But we also they won't listen. <laughs> so my friend, um, through her Nazarene Relief kind of organization, and also just uh, through her friends, she's from Kiev herself. Yura is from Kiev. So she had friends who were working there at um, the hospital and also volunteered like for territorial defense. So they uh, of Kiev, uh, so they knew the needs and they gave the list of things that they needed. We're talking about helmets and uh, vests and the medical, like for field kind of the battlefield um, medical kits, drones, uh, drones, uh, and uh, just surgical. It's it's above my pay grade. I don't even know all mm. the like surgical equipment things and uh so we if ira's friends um were able to put it all together and she herself like drove around and bought some of the uh things and we had so we had six uh suitcases to take with us and uh which in itself is hard there was a um a we were calling, you know, airline trying to get some maybe discount on humanitarian help, but they, there was nothing they could do. Mm. Uh, actually, the call center lady, Judy, uh, she herself sent us a card later. And she told us, thank you for doing what you're doing. And she sent us a check for $600 wow. to pay for all our oh suitcases. Oh, my gosh. That's great. That's just perfect to pay for all the luggage. That's beautiful. And so, yeah, if you want to, uh, you know, the stories to cry with happy tears mm. i have a lot of those so that was one of the stories yeah just a random yeah uh, call center lady from airline tried uh, to do her best but it was nothing she could do and so she sent us from her mm. i imagine they don't get a lot of money at the call centers you know <laughs> she sent us uh, all the money we needed to pay for the suitcases that's very and, generous um, and also um we were able to get them through all the customs no problem at all wow which nobody could believe that is pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, Getting all that all that equipment and supplies through. Wow. Yes. Um, what was your first 24 hours? And could you hear, once you got close to the border, could you hear any of the, the bombing or any of the fighting or any just like any noise from 
the the invasion or the war that was taking place? Um, it's a Western Ukraine, so uh, there was no like uh, on the ground fighting. Uh, there were occasional mm, through all this, like during these two months, there were some uh, rockets that were sent in the in that area, but not really not during the time I was there. Mm. So um, no, we couldn't hear anything. Um, right before you left, though, that <coughs> military base that you Americans were training at which is like right across the border from where you were, got hit pretty bad. Yes, that's right. Which is kind of scary because you're about to leave and they just struck yeah. there. Yeah. And we were just telling grandma that it's very safe. <laughs> so like hoping that she wasn't watching the news. Um, but, but Russia's really low on guided missiles. So they're very picky about how much they send because they don't have a lot in mm. stock. And so it, it that's why it's so safe in the West because they can only really strike tactically. They don't really fly bombing missions over there. Yeah. So how was the Polish government handling the refugees? Did it seem very organized to you? Did it seem disorganized? And then once they kind of got through some kind of checkpoint, um, how did you guys engage with the refugees? So uh, we heard from other volunteers who were volunteering, you know, the first month or the first several weeks. It was actually a reason, uh, and it was good timing that we didn't go at first because at first all Polish people uh, they went to volunteer, like, immediately. So there was uh, more than enough local people volunteering. But then, of course, you understand people needed to go back to work. Even my niece and nephew, they took off uh, school and work to help. But then they had to go back uh, to their jobs. And so we realized there was a great opportunity gap of volunteers where we could stand, you know, get in. So um, at first it was very chaotic. It was just... Uh, you know, they opened the border and people just walked in with, with no regulations capped. It was just to, to for survival. You know, nobody knew what it's going to be. So later there were more organization put in. And there is also so many different um, uh, nonprofit, Christian, non-Christian uh, organizations, just individuals who are there to help. So it's really hard to organize it all. Somehow it has their organic life of its own. And um, but Polish government uh, railway, for example, it's uh, their all tickets are free for Ukrainians. Wow! So I I can only imagine the um, what the financial loss it is for them, and uh, also you know all the so many restaurants, all the things, all like losing money because they're open free for mm. Ukrainians, and uh, um, so many people took people in, you know, opened their homes for indefinite period of time because nobody you know, knows still how long it's going to last. But uh, we were, so people would come to the train station. Train station became such a center, like a hub for everything because people would come with ev uh, on evacuation trains from Ukraine twice a day, at some point once a day. It depends, you can never know the time. And then um, people also would walk across the border just pedestrian border crossing, and then buses would take them again to the train station. Mm. So train station was just this, um, yeah, hop for everything. So everybody would come. So that's where you're doing a lot of your work? So uh, We're serving? Yeah. So, um, yeah, 99% it was at the train station. So we, like, lived at the train station <laughs> with my friend. We, um, we probably were working 10, 12-hour shifts every day. 
uh, even though it was recommended for our shift. And we know there was a schedule for other volunteers, but we only came for two weeks. Mm. So we were not leaving the train station till uh, while our brains were still working and our feet were walking, we were there, you know. So I know you speak a couple of languages, uh, Polish and Ukrainian, English. Were there, were there any other languages you had a chance to, to, to use? Mm, I wouldn't say I speak, uh, speak uh, Polish. I understand it mm. 100%. And I probably speak like uh, kind of like equivalent of Spanglish. That's how I speak Polish. But nobody ever had uh, any difficulty understanding me. So that's fine. It's very hu- uh, not humiliating, humbling experience because you... Uh, in order to help someone, you uh, accepting that you're gonna sound like a fool, mm. <laughs> you know. So that was it. Um, and yeah, I had a chance to translate from Czech, from Polish. Um, uh, the funny situation was when I uh, was making fun of some other American American volunteers because they had Spanish written on their vest, and I was like, "Wow, that's gonna be helpful." But then I actually had to <laughs> uh, opportunity to, to help uh, Spanish. Vol- uh, not volunteer, Spanish guy who was traveling to Ukraine bringing uh, medications. Mm. And he did not speak any English. And I was staring at him in just unbelief. <laughs> and I could not think of anything, not even like, you know, Mexican restaurant menu, like oh. blank. I think <laughs> I just left my Spanish, all 10 words I know in, you know, <laughs> in Arizona. So. so what surprised you the first couple of days? Like either surprised you or was overwhelming? Uh, it was just how casual uh, it was and how, mm. you know, the sun is still shining. It's a beautiful day and the birds are singing and such horror is going on. You know, like you see all these people and you can it's just unbelievable. It's just you, at some point you can't... Um, can't process anymore you know the trauma you're just staring and you're like reaching the ceiling of your emotions where you just all the you know second world war movies you watched all the uh, you know narnia books you read about evil and good and you're just like in the middle of it and it just looks so like not heroic no not special it's just every day you know a thing for uh, these people and um it was really hard, uh, especially the first couple of days, because uh, I am Ukrainian, you know, and I think that was I- easier for some other volunteers because they were could be more um, like have this uh, wall kind of emotional detached. a little bit detached. Yeah, and uh, I think maybe that's why they were more effective at first, uh, because I would just had to take breaks, go and like cry because I didn't want to cry in front of people. That's not helpful at all. They need someone to help them. Not mm. someone who, you know, uh, re-traumatized them with my own tears and make it worse, you know. So we actually had pretty good uh, training or orientation uh, with um, Nazarene missionaries there about about that and what not to do and how to be helpful. And um, so that was very good. Yeah. I think uh, most of it I would do the opposite way. So, um, yeah, it was really hard to see children, especially the mm. age of my kids. Uh, to see, uh, like little things could throw me off. Like my, a lot of people who know my youngest son, he loves sheep. 
Mm. It's like his life uh, yeah. revolves around <laughs> sheep. And so just me seeing some little boy with a little toy sheep at his backpack, it just threw me off for like half an hour, you know, oh, where I needed yeah. to go and calm down. But then I learned little like skills, how you kind of breathe in to hold the tears back. And, um, and people yeah. were just carrying, they were bringing with them whatever they could carry. Like probably in the photo, photos that I've seen were people with, suitcases and dragging suitcases and sometimes other things but i mean was was that what you saw like people just basically they packed as much as they could into a couple of suitcases and and yeah we and saw fled? Uh, we saw people with suitcases we saw people who were evacuated from more dangerous zones and often they were only allowed to take like a little grocery bag size bag Oh wow! And so uh, that was one of the needs. We had to become very creative and uh, think on the fly. So mm. one of the things my friend noticed is all these grocery bags, they were falling apart. Oh wow! And so we went to local little market and bought all the warehouse full of this kind of checkered, you know, those mm -hmm. zipped, uh, it was a zipper uh, bags. At least they were steady and uh, had a zipper. Yeah. And so I think we bought like 400 of them. And wow. we, and they were all we're gone and yeah. uh, we would go and give people those bags so they could um, actually have their stuff. But yeah, carrying luggage. And it's one of the miracles I think that happened, like actual miracles for me, because again, I'm 40 years old. I'm not like some great shape. And so, and I have some issues with like uh, wrist and, you know, ankles. And I was afraid that I, from all the walking up and down the stairs and carrying all the suitcases that I'd probably get sick or injure myself. But somehow two weeks went by and I had a very high level of energy. Nothing happened to me. Uh, and I think it's, um, it is not natural. I think it's supernatural. That's awesome. Any other examples of seeing how God worked in a way that you just was, weren't anticipating or expecting? Um, first of all, I realized that even when my brain is off mm. and I'm not quite focused, uh, God can still use me. Mm. And, uh, uh, I felt like all the prayers that were, uh, prayed for me, for my trip, for, uh, all the people there, I felt like, um, a wave current, you know, carrying me and, uh, all the time there, I was just, uh, I don't know, looking back, I'm fascinated. I would say one word, my name is, you know, Vala, and can I help you, or you're safe? And it would have such an effect mm. that I know it wasn't from me, yeah. or can just human words could not, you know, or I would help with something little, but people will tell me that God sent me and all these things that I would be like, me? No, I didn't do anything. But then I realized just God was doing his own thing. And, uh, and he used me. So it was uh, literally, there was, I was praying and asking everyone to pray to be God's feet and God's hands. Mm. And it was exactly what happened. Yeah. Mike, how, um, in terms of being able to communicate with her, were you able to communicate pretty easily like the first 24 hours or the whole time? Or was it kind of um, times when you couldn't get a hold of her? Yeah. Um, we, we talked every night pretty much. So we have like, our Google photos are shared. So every time she takes a picture, it would upload it right away. So I'd be able to mm. keep up that way. Um, ended up recording our conversations and cutting some stories out and making some like quick little on the fly podcast too. So there's a few of those up out there. I did a blog as well. And so she would tell the stories and I would keep up to date that way. So that was good to 
to help communicate out to others who were praying and supporting him. That way she wouldn't have to talk to many people. They could kind of keep up to date that way because it was mm. busy days over there. Was it, did it feel stressful to be separated from her and knowing where she was at and what she was doing? No, I, I mean, I kind of felt like I was invested in it, you know, getting to talk every day, sharing stories, and people would ask me how it's going, I would share with them. And, of course, the kids were around, so that kept me busy too. Mm. So. Val, did that, his kind of confidence and support in you, did that do a lot for, for your, your time there? Oh, yeah, that's amazing. I'm so proud of Michael, and probably everybody's so annoyed by me talking about Michael, how he just, he trusts me. You know, 100%. Like, one of the things that was very helpful, what he told me, he said, I know you're probably not missing me and kids right now, but we know you love us, and when you come back, you'll be here, but when you're there, you need to be there. Mm. And so um, I was just hyper-focused and literally not thinking about anything else but the mission that I had there. And uh, also I needed... um, uh, I needed that time for myself to process everything that was going on. Because, uh, you know, if you ever had a time when, say, your grandparents, someone passed away and you were not, uh, you were not able to be there, yeah. later it's harder for you to, um, to have closure or to understand maybe. Um, uh, so I knew that I, if I can't be in Ukraine, right? I can't be there with my family, but I can be with these people and I can be in the middle of their pain and relieve just one drop of the ocean of their suffering and it's, I need it for myself as well, you know. So Michael was very supportive. And when my brain was fried in the evening, mm. we thought it's important for me to process everything that happened. It's important to keep updated people who prayed and supported us uh, on my trip. So uh, that's why sometimes I would just start speaking Ukrainian, not realizing that to Michael. And he'd be like five minutes in. He's like, um, I don't understand some, but... <laughs> could <laughs> and yeah. It was a test. <laughs> and I didn't even know. Like, I was just so out of it. I could not really comprehend in the end of the day. So but when your time came to a close that you, you're planning to return back to home, to Arizona, was that difficult? Or was that you were ready to, you feel like you had done your part and you're ready to come home? Like, what, what were your, how were you feeling about that, that transition and coming back? I think it was both. Uh, in a way, um, my body and my mind is starting like departing, <laughs> you know, already. And uh, I knew it was time to leave, but it was very hard. It was hard to see so much need uh, still there. And but it's also again, it's a humbling experience, and it's trust in God that I'm just it's God's work, and uh, I'm just His hand or you know His food, and He'll find workers. It's, uh, I'm not in control, he is, and I'm not the savior, he is. And so um, that's how it was um, easy in a way to leave or possible for me to leave because mm-hmm. just uh, trust in God that he's going to do his work without me as well. Although another way to answer that is we're about to buy tickets to go back probably in June for a month. So Yes, we, <laughs> my friend and I, we're like, okay, to we're going to come back. Yeah, yeah. and wow. we still want to come back. And the whole family? Wow, that's exciting. It's still like, you know, penciled, but. Yeah. um, What has stuck with you since being back? From the trip? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess just, uh, you know, because my family is in the West and they're relatively safe, even though safety, you know, it it comes and goes, but it's, uh, 
whenever people ask me, is your family safe? I say they're safe as of like 10 minutes ago, I was talking to them, but I don't know what's going to be tomorrow. And, um, but uh, they did not experience uh, all the horrors that people in the East uh, and the North and, you know, experienced. And my family from um, around Kiev, European, one of this horror s- towns that uh, they show on TV all the time, they were able to evacuate in t- uh, before uh, occupation. So even though their house destroyed their lives are safe. Um, so for me to actually talk to people who experienced the worst, it was um, just tuned my heart you know, to mm. uh, to the suffering more. And so now when I um, hear the news from those cities, like I learned probably Ukrainian geography better than I ever had and all these little towns from all the people that I met, all the names. And, um, and so I would hear some news and I'd pray for that. You know, it's just my heart is more invested. Mm. So that kind of stuck with me that it's all real. It's not just on the news. It's not far away. It's a real people like you and me, you know, um, who had their summer vacation planned and the end of the school year, all busy and their exams in school. And um, suddenly they lost everything, you know, so it's just uh, that stuck with me. Just they're real people that are so face to face. Yeah. Is it is it hard to kind of go th- sometimes go through your day? You're folding laundry, you're making lunches. You're feeding kids, you're cleaning the house, and then your mind goes back to Poland, Ukraine. Like, do you find your mind going, kind of switching back and forth, or do you do you kind of feel like your your mind is always kind of just connected to what's going on? And my mind is always connected, mm. always. But it's at first, for the first month, probably before my trip, it was impossible to do anything. Mm. It was impossible to do the simplest things. Um, then um or feel any joy or do anything like uh, just for those who know me as a uh, like reader like i read all the time i haven't read anything since the war started other than news and you know and um just all the normalcy stopped and this um like a war time and so um but after i came back and you know our god created our human mind and body amazing ways like we're able to adjust, we're able to adapt. Uh, and what we say, like my family in Ukraine would say, no, we're going to celebrate the birthday mm-hmm. because we, um, you know, the, the evil, you know, the darkness wants to take away joy from us, wants to destroy our lives, but we're not going to let it. So we're going to still have joy and we're still going to sing and we're going to celebrate the birthdays like we never did because we're alive and you know, and we're going to win. And so, uh, because I would be like, oh, should I even go to this birthday party? Or should I even celebrate like this or that? And uh, my family in Ukraine, like, oh, you should. That, you should even more because mm. you can't let, you know, the enemy and the keep joy from your life. Yeah. So I know as as the congregation of Gateway, we're praying for peace, but is there any any other specific way that we could be praying for the Ukraine and just refugees? I think the big picture is to pray, of course, for peace, for the end of war, but then also for justice. Because, you know, when, um, I know there are a lot of parallels now to Second World War, you know, it was the biggest war we had uh, in the past. And it was that it didn't just end it. It also had um, justice done, you know, and it also had a change of mind and heart of German people, you know, and it was also like, 
uh, repentance. It was uh, redemption story. So it's it's like um, my heart as a Christian is just longing for justice as well, mm. justice for victims, justice for criminals, and um, um, yeah, like redemption for yeah. all this situation. Do you do you wrestle more with bitterness or sadness or anger? That's what my son asked me this morning. Are these tears, sad tears, happy tears? I'm like, honey, you can feel all the feels mm. <laughs> at once. But it's um, not so much, sad, I mean, sadness, obviously, here and there. Uh, it's a lot of pride, a lot of joy, tears, seeing the goodness and kindness uh, and um, support. And also a lot of, um, not bitterness even, just like... Um, wrath and anger and hatred at injustice and at evil and uh, but not like hatred that you can't function that throws you off but um like calm you know um i think one thing that's been helpful is my aunt um had been sending valentina verses from psalms and some of those psalms after you've kind of experienced this you reread them from a lens of like or you know an enemy like a real enemy that you've seen it's like it makes a lot more sense mm. and it seems like wow that's you know are we supposed to supposed to love our enemies right but there's also that righteous you know against your enemies too that you know david had in the psalms and, and so i think that gives a whole nother lens for that and helps you not feel as I don't know, condemned that you are so angry at you know this, this enemy that's out there attacking you so how is this experience, current experience, but also your trip, how has that affected your marriage, your home life, your family? Any impact that you can kind of see or feel? I don't know. I, I, I think it's TBD. It's just different now. Like, like just trying to, like it feels just day by day and you're trying to, how can you enjoy life again? And, you know, how can you return to normal? Because there's a lot of stuff that's just not normal now and it's kind of that new normal and figuring it out and, so, but it, it brings together in different ways than, than before too. So. Yeah. Does it feel frustrating because most in probably in the United States just go on their daily lives. They're not thinking about the war. They're thinking about their career and what they're going to eat later and what's on Instagram or what's on Netflix. Like their, 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 their mind is not even there. Like to them, it's just a new story, something that they see in their scroll does, is that frustrating or do you kind of understand that here in the West or in the United States, like that's just kind of how we roll? Well, at first it was really hard, you know, to go to the store and to see that, yeah, sun is still shining and everything's going on as mm. before. And, but uh, right now I'm, no, first of all, there's so much, there's so much support. There's so much support uh, in the United States. Mm. And uh, to Ukraine. And I understand that it's not, it wouldn't be also healthy to be constantly, you know, um, uh, dwelling on it. Um, so I think there are two extremes, but there is a, especially for a Christian, there is a, a middle uh, ground where you could, um, you know, you could be sensitive to what's going on and you could, um, so I was thinking you can't divert your eyes from the suffering, even if it's brutal and scary. Mm -hmm. And, um, right, everyone, like when we watch the Second World Mo two movies, we think, oh, what would we do? Oh, we'd probably be the one hiding the Jewish people and helping and going. And 
And now I'm thinking, oh, maybe we wouldn't. Maybe we just like our life would still go on. And um, but I think there is this where you should uh, look uh, look for it, kind of look for information. You know, even prayer. That's how my prayer is formed now. I watch the news, I read the Twitter, and I see something and I pray for it. You know, I watch something about the all the explosives and mines that are left in the previously occupied area. And I was just pray for all the children not to step on them, you know, and all the uh, workers who are trying to get rid of them and make the area safe again for their safety. And it's it's never, um, there is never lack of uh, prayer needs out there. And I think that's a big deal. It's not just, and I think if you pray, because people are like, what can we do other than pray? I think if you pray, if you invest in your heart and your mind, God will show you some something else to do. You know, but you need to start there. You need to start in engaging with your heart and in a prayer and just pay attention. And then, you know, God knows your heart and your willingness and he'll give you something. Mm. Well, when I heard the news at first, I was like, wow. And then I was like, no, I'm not surprised. Like you, you feel things deeply, deeply. You have just like this amazing love and energy, especially for your family. And so. I, it was still like, wow, that's a courageous decision to go. Um, but I, at, at the same time, it just made sense for who you are. So if you don't know Val, I mean, th- I think there's a lot of courage there, but also a lot of love and energy. So, and, and just your love for, for Christ and, and for your, your family. So for you to go and sacrifice kind of your time, but also put yourself potentially in harm's way to, to love and care for, um, you know, your, your country, I, it's just beautiful. So Thank you both for, you know, the time to share and um, any, any other thoughts to, to share with Redemption Gateway? I just want to thank everyone who prayed, who gave, um, who cares. Mm. Who, uh, just uh, the fear is, not the fear, but um, worry of mine that people will just forget because at first it's uh, new and exciting maybe and uh, urgent, and, but war is still going on. So just don't forget. And the, I think the consequences will last a long time. So just don't forget and yeah, don't, don't divert your eyes from all the suffering there. Mm. Michael, any other last thoughts? No. <laughs> well, Michael, Valentina, thank you so much for your, your dedication to our church and, and your love for Jesus. Um, for those of you listening, we love you. We hope this has been encouraging and um, and hopefully that you will find opportunities to serve the Lord in the way that he is calling you. And whether it's big or small, um, you know, our goal is to, to love Jesus and to serve those around us and to love them well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.